Welcome to the IC Made On podcast. We are so glad that you've chosen to listen online. If you would like to know more about who we are, why we exist, our service times and location, or how you can get involved, then check out our website at icmadeon.com. We hope you enjoy the message today. So I want to get right into this. Man, I thought I was going to start with one that would be kind of fun and easy. My first question was, is it okay to be a vegetarian or a vegan? And I thought, man, that would be fun to start with. It's, it's sort of light. It's, it's an important question. People have questions. They want to know, hey, can I do this? Is this okay? Maybe I know someone like this. And when I started um, researching this and reading the Bible and looking for the answers, I realized that another question we had sent to us dealt with food. And so I'm combining these together. The, the second question was this, is it wrong to present food to other gods to respect your family? So I thought, hey, I'll just put these together. They're about food, and uh, both are important. I know the second question, that's something that many of you deal with. You know, what do I do if the question was from someone who is a Christian, they're following Jesus, but their family members are of another faith, And sometimes they have to go with their family and do things that they feel like makes them uncomfortable because of following Jesus. And they were asking, hey, can I can I still present food to other or light incense or different things when I'm following Jesus? How do I balance these things? Many of you deal with that. I've talked to so many people. So I think this is a really important question and I want to handle it. with sensitivity, with respect, but also with honesty and see what God has to say about it. So what I did, I looked at Romans chapter 14, and this discusses, it actually answers both of these questions you may have. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. If you have the YouVersion app, the whole chapter is uh, typed out in the notes for today. But I just want to start with the beginning of Romans chapter 14. And uh, Paul was writing this, and he says in verse 1, Give a warm welcome to any brother who wants to join you, even though his faith is weak. Don't criticize him for having different ideas from yours about what is right and wrong. For instance, don't argue with him about whether or not to eat meat that has been offered to idols. You may believe there is no harm in this, but the faith of others is weaker. They think it is wrong and will go without any meat at all and eat vegetables rather than eat that kind of meat. Those who think it is all right to eat such meat must not look down on those who won't. And if you are one of those who won't, don't find fault or look down on those who do. For God has accepted them to be his children. They are God's servants, not yours. They are responsible to him, not to you. Let him tell them whether they are right or wrong. I think this, this little portion of Scripture is so powerful, so meaningful. It really explains so much to us as Christians about how we should treat other people. Basically, Paul takes this question about, hey, what do we do about things that are offered to idols? And can we eat this meat that's, that's sacrificed to idols or not? And some of us find ourselves in those situations where a meal has been dedicated to idols and then we're sitting there like, hey, can I eat this? according to scripture. And I love how Paul sort of turns it around and he says, hey, quit arguing about that. 
you know, he sort of took it off of the focus of being the meat or the meal or whatever. And he said the, the main thing is that you don't argue about it. The main thing is that if you think it's wrong, you don't criticize someone who does. And if someone does eat it, they don't criticize you who, who won't. I think it's really cool how he does that. And I, I sort of broke down Romans 14 and just 10 points for us to help explain it. Uh, let me read verse 17 first. I'm not reading the whole chapter, but let's skip down to 17. Listen to this. It says, for after all, the importance as Christians is not what we eat or drink, but stirring up goodness and peace and joy from the Holy Spirit. If you let Christ be Lord in these affairs, God will be glad and so will others. I love how Paul does that. The whole question is about food and Paul says, hey, the food thing doesn't matter. Just don't criticize, don't judge, don't argue. What you need to do is stir up goodness and peace and joy. And he says, if you do that, God will be glad. Why will God be glad? Because we are letting God be God. It says others will be glad. Why will others be glad? Because we shut our mouths about it, right? Sometimes when people don't, people don't care our opinions or our ideas. And Paul says, hey, they don't need our opinions or our ideas. He was saying that we are all God's servants, so why would we criticize one of God's servants? They're responsible to him, right? Every single one of us, we're responsible to God. No one's responsible to, responsible to me. We're not responsible to each other in these matters. He's saying, let God handle these things. Let God tell someone what's right or wrong. So here's a breakdown of Romans 14 in just 10 quick little points. Number one, welcome anyone. And if you've been at Icy Maidon for a while, you will recognize that's very, very, very important to us. We have an entire First Impressions team, and their goal is to welcome everyone. Anyone who comes to the door of this church, we don't ask, where are you from? Where have you been? What did you do last night? What's your family name? You know, we don't ask anything. We don't make anyone uh, tell us the names of the disciples before they can get in the door. Anyone who comes to the door is welcome to join us. Hey, have some coffee. We've got a seat for you. Everyone's welcome. I think this is important from what Paul tells us in Romans 14. Uh, number two, don't argue. Paul apparently was speaking to Christians that argued with each other. Do Christians still like to argue? Yeah, they do. Yeah. I, I want to say, man, it was different in Paul's days. No, it's the same thing. And I think Satan's plans, if he can keep the churches arguing, we can't be as effective. You know, if, if the head of the church is Jesus, it doesn't matter what name is on the door of the church or what name is on the building. We're all a part of one church. Jesus just established one church. He didn't establish hundreds of denominations. He established the church. And if that church follows Jesus and lifts him up as Lord, then we're all brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter if it's Pentecostal or Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran, whatever it is, if we're following Jesus, we are one church. And so just like what's going on in those days, there's all these arguments. And that's how these denominations happen. You know, hey, I don't like the worship like that. We want to do it different. We're going to open up this church, the church of no drums. No, we, we don't like what you wear there. We're going we're gonna to have this church over here and we're the church of the long dresses or whatever. You know, there's all these different from arguments and and silly debates and disputes. And Paul was saying then, hey, don't argue. Even about this issue of 
what can we eat or not? Hey, don't even argue about it. If someone wants to eat it, let them eat it. If someone doesn't, don't. Uh, Number three, let God be God. He was saying, hey, let God handle these things. It's not your business. You're not... You're not master over anyone else. No one's responsible to you. They don't answer to you. They answer to God. So let God be God. Number four, follow the Lord. And all of these come from Romans chapter 14. Number five, you have no right to criticize. Man, I love this one because Paul says it very strongly. He doesn't just say don't criticize people. He says you have no right to criticize another person. Can we take a vow together? Everyone raise your right hand with me. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I will not criticize anyone else anymore. We're going to do it one more time just for those of you that need to say it twice. I will not criticize anyone else anymore. That's from God's word. Man, how great would life be if people just quit criticizing each other? Let's just love one another. Let's be brothers and sisters. Let's live this life and quit being all up in each other's business all the time. Quit criticizing. He says, you have no right. That's God's business. What right is it of ours? Number six, so don't criticize each other anymore. Number seven, live in a way that does not make others stumble. This is the part he's talking about in this situation that um, we just need to be careful with who's around us. If you're in a situation and there's been some food that's been offered to idols and you're sitting there and, and you feel like, hey, this is no big deal. But maybe you're with a Christian that, that feels like, man, that's a horrible sin to do. If it's, if it's up to you in that situation, you would say, hey, okay, I won't eat it either to respect this person, to keep them from stumbling in their faith. If you don't have any choice, hey, you, you might have to eat it, depending on your family situation. And what Paul says, it doesn't matter anyway. But be careful. It means maybe if you're out with someone that's a, a Christian that has accepted Jesus and they were from another faith before, and maybe they don't eat pork, you don't have to order bepeca when you eat with them, right? Just recognize who's with you and don't, don't make someone else stumble. It's the same thing with alcohol. This same topic answers the topic of alcohol for Christians. Even in our church, there's people of, of different uh, thoughts and ideas about alcohol. We have some Christians, some brothers and sisters in our church that don't drink alcohol at all. Carrie and I don't drink alcohol. But there's some Christians in our church that don't mind having a glass of wine with dinner. Are either one of those right or wrong? It, it just, it, it all depends on your conviction from God. What the Bible says is that drunkenness is a sin. The Bible doesn't say having a drink is a sin. The Bible doesn't say not having a drink is a sin. But it does say drunkenness will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So how do you avoid causing someone to stumble? Maybe you're someone who likes to have a glass of wine with dinner and you're eating with your brothers and sisters that don't drink alcohol. You don't have to order it that night. You can respect who you're with. That's all this is talking about with not making others stumble. Number eight, do not do anything that will cause criticism against yourself. This is the verse in the Bible when Paul is saying, you must ja'im, right? You have, this is what this is saying. Hey, you have to ja'im. You have to jaga your image. 
it's very, very important. Why? Because as Christians, when we say, man, I accept Jesus, I'm following him, we no longer just represent ourselves. We represent Jesus. The Bible says that Christians are the ambassadors of Christ. We represent him. We represent his kingdom. So when we say, I follow Jesus, I believe in him, suddenly it's very, very important, even more important than before, that we watch our image because what people see in us, what people see in you, that's what they're going to think about Jesus. If they see you doing things that bring criticism on yourself, it might make them think, hey, what kind of, what kind of God is Jesus? Do I really need to follow this? If you've been a Christian for a while, you know this. As soon as you accepted Jesus, people's eyes were on you watching you. They want to see, those that are trying to justify themselves want to see if you mess up. Let me see if, if they're perfect. Let me see if they're holy. Some people are watching you because they want to see, is this real? They knew from your past. They can't believe that you, that you are following God now. And they're watching to see, is this real? Maybe because they're looking for something real. But in any way, people are watching. You may not even know it. People watch. When you say you're a Christian, people are watching you. So it's very important. Don't do anything that will cause criticism against yourself. And number nine, just repeating verse 17, the important thing for us as Christians is not what we eat or drink, but that we stir up goodness and peace and joy from the Holy Spirit. And number 10, let Jesus be Lord in these matters and God will be glad. Another verse about what we eat or what goes into our, our mouths and our bodies, Matthew 15 verse 11 says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles or makes a person dirty, but what comes out of the mouth, that's what defiles a person or makes a person dirty. So what Paul was kind of saying in this context, he's saying, hey, it doesn't matter what you eat or drink. It doesn't matter what you're putting in. But if what's coming out is arguments and criticism and judgment and negativity, that's what makes you dirty. That's what defiles you. So don't worry so much about what you're eating or what you're drinking. So what am I saying? According to the Bible, eat whatever you want. If you want to be a vegetarian or a vegan, do that and honor God with it. When you eat your vegetables, say a prayer and thank God for those vegetables. I love kangkung myself, you know. Thank God for that. It's delicious. Just thank God. But don't force that opinion on someone else. If that's what you want to do, do that. If you're someone that thinks, I don't even like vegetables at all. I just want to eat bepeka, pagi, siang, sore, malam. Dream about it at night. Wake up and eat bepeka again. Then eat that all you want, but don't force that on someone else. Paul was saying, hey, do what, do what you want to do and do what what you feel right with because it doesn't matter. Even with the sacrificing food to idols, what he says in that scripture, if you read all of Romans 14, he says, there's only one God anyway. So if you're worried about, man, this has been sacrificed to an idol or this has been presented to another God, what Paul was saying is there is no other God anyway. So it's really been presented to nothing. It's really been sacrificed to nothing. He said, don't worry about it. So when I look at this, and as far as sacrificing food yourself or burning incense, other things that I know many of you face, it falls in this same category. If you're in here, like the person that asked this question, and you are following Jesus, 
and you love God and you want to do the right thing, but you're saying, man, because of my family situation, I still live at home. I still have to go do some of these things to honor my family. And I don't know how to weigh this out. If you have no way out of it, just do it. Honor your parents. And I believe when you do that with the right heart, God's going to honor you. You know that you're not sacrificing to idols. You know you're not worshiping, worshiping other gods. Do what you need to do to honor your family because you don't have any way out of that. God's going to honor that. He knows your heart. And sometimes we're in situations where maybe what we have to do isn't necessarily what's in our heart. So let that condemnation be gone. Don't feel guilty for that. If you have to do that, do it. But if you're in a situation where you have a choice and you're asking this question, if I follow Jesus, can I still do that? And you have the freedom to do what you want, then stop doing those things that God's telling you to stop. When he speaks to you and says, hey, I want you to lead away from this, you just say, hey, God, I, I've been in this situation. I'm conflicted. I don't know how to balance honoring you and honoring my family. Will you help me with this? Will you show me a way out? God will help you. Now, one powerful story that really relates with this, it's not exactly the same context, but it's so powerful, is the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. The reason this is different is because Gideon's family was already worshiping the one true God, and they let idols in. So it's different than a family that was not worshiping God anyway and already had idols. This is a family that was supposed to be worshiping God, but Gideon's family let idols in. And in the night, God woke Gideon up and said, Gideon, I want you to tear down your father's idols. Man, how many of you would that freak you out if God told you, wake up and tear down your father's idols? Gideon could have been saying, God, have you met my father? He's going to be very angry. But what Gideon did was he got up and he went and tore down his father's idols. He burned everything. When his father woke up the next morning, it was gone. This is a, a little different context, but the point of this is whatever God tells you to do, do that. If you're stuck in a situation that you have to do something, as long as you know you're not really giving anything to another God because there is no other God, just do what you have to do and tell God, hey, as soon as I have the freedom, I want to be able to stop doing this. God's going to honor you. He knows your heart. What I really think for us today in our lives, those idols of our fathers that need to be torn down are bigger than statues and altars. The idols we have being passed down to us are idols of hate, idols of greed, idols of lust, idols of adultery, immorality, idols of dishonesty, idols of racism. Those are things we need to tear down in our lives. Things that maybe our forefathers were a part of, and that can creep into our lives. Maybe our father or mother was like this, and it comes into our life. Maybe our grandparents, our great-grandparents. We need to tear down those idols. In my life and in Carrie's life, divorce was a big thing that both of us are from broken homes. Both of our parents are divorced. There's a lot of other divorce in our family. And I've shared our story. At eight months into our marriage, we separated and we were seeing lawyers to get a divorce. It was like this idol being passed down, this generational sin. Thankfully, around that time, Jesus saved us. And so we prayed and we said, this has to stop right now. Divorce has to end in our family. 
So for us, we really saw that as, hey, we're going to tear down this idol. We're going to burn down divorce. It's going to stop with our parents because for us, that's not going to happen. We've been married for 23 years now. God saved us. That was torn down. I don't worry about my children having divorces because I feel like we tore that idol down. And just a little free marriage counseling for any married people and those of you that want to be married Don't ever use divorce as ammunition in fights. What Carrie and I decided 23 years ago, after God saved us and put our marriage back together, we said we will never use the word divorce again. It's not ammunition for a fight. That's that's the worst thing in a marriage if when you get in an argument, your way to hurt the other person is to say, I'll just leave then, or why don't we get a divorce? So for all of you that are married and those of you that will be married, Just take divorce out of your vocabulary, okay? Go and cut that idol down before you get there. Uh, But I think that answers those questions. God knows your heart. God's with you. Um, Whatever you want to eat, it doesn't matter. Vegetarian, vegan, all meat, whatever you want. Um, The next question, who can perform baptism and are all Christians allowed? This is an interesting question. We know baptism is very, very important and... um, This person that sent this question in, and I've been asked this before, who can baptize? We know baptism is important. It's one of two things that Jesus did and and told us to continue. He was baptized. He didn't need to be baptized, but Jesus was baptized just as an example for us. Jesus also uh, participated in communion, and that's why we do that together as a church. Baptism doesn't save us. There's nothing that brings salvation about being dunked underwater and brought back up, right? What baptism, what baptism is, is an expression of something that's happened in your heart. When you get baptized, it is an expression or a proclamation of something that God did in your heart. Baptism is saying, hey, I love God, I want to turn from my sins, and I want to follow Jesus the rest of my life. Uh, I've shared this before, but baptism is kind of like the wedding ring of salvation. I have a wedding ring on my hand. That wedding ring did not make me be married to Carrie, right? When I put this on, it doesn't mean, it didn't make us married. It's just an expression of something that happens in our heart. People see this ring, and it's an expression saying, hey, this ring represents something in my heart that I love her. She has a ring. It represents that she loves me. We have a commitment. We're dedicated to each other. I'm hers, and she is mine forever. That's what this represents, That's what baptism is. That's why when we get baptized, we gather around our closest friends and our family, and we say, hey, I want to make this expression in front of you of what Jesus has done in my heart. And then we get baptized. And it's such a beautiful thing. But who can baptize? Um, The Bible doesn't really give instruction on this. In Matthew 28, we read the Great Commission. And Jesus told all of the disciples gathered there at that time to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them. That was to all of the disciples. Jesus never really baptized people. His disciples did it. Even Paul the apostle, we read uh, in one of the letters he wrote that he's talking to the church there, and he was saying even, I didn't baptize many of you, only this, this couple. So we see that who's doing the baptizing is not necessarily important. What's important is baptism, not who's doing it. Of course, the qualification should be that you are a Christian if you baptize someone. 
but that's sort of understood. That would be really weird if someone's baptizing you and they don't believe in Jesus. It wouldn't even make sense why they're doing it. You know, you're standing in the water and they ask, uh, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. Well, I don't really believe it, but I'm going to baptize you. That's weird. I don't see how that would happen. So I think it's just understood a Christian would baptize. I'll tell you, there was this really cool example, a really cool event that a pastor friend of ours in the U.S. told me and Carrie about. It was their Father's Day service, and they were going to have a baptism service on Father's Day. So they have the water ready and everything, and some of the fathers are going to get baptized, some of the men in the church. And the pastor said, hey, uh, I want the men to to get baptized, and if they have children that have decided to follow Jesus, I want to invite the children up, and after I baptize the fathers, they're going to baptize their children. Man, could you imagine what a beautiful thing that these kids that decide to follow Jesus like their fathers come to the front, and their fathers have this privilege and this honor to baptize their own children, and it's such a beautiful thing. That's on my bucket list of something we do as a church. I would love to do that, but the thing is, the pastor didn't make all of those fathers become pastors before that. They didn't have a, a quiz on the Bible or a test or any of that. It, the qualification is just being a Christian. Any of you in here that follow Jesus and you love him, you can lead someone to Jesus and you can baptize. That's, that's the truth. That's the answer to that. It's pretty simple. Um, and then the last question, and I think one that you all have been waiting for, not necessarily because it's the last one, but because I know this is something that most of us at times have asked, uh, either asked ourselves or maybe said this to God, why does life seem unfair at times? Does anyone ever think, man, life is not fair? Maybe you look around comparing your life to other people and you see other people and you're like, man, why are they more blessed than I am? Why, why is this going well for them and my life doesn't seem to be going good? Why do they seem to have everything and I'm struggling? Why is their life easy and my life is hard? Or especially if you see someone that's not even following God and you're saying, they, God, they don't even know you. Why does their life seem better than mine? I'm reading my Bible. I'm trying to follow you. And things just don't seem to work out. Solomon noticed that life wasn't fair. He was the wisest person that ever lived. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, he said this, I saw other things in this life that were not fair. The fastest runner does not always win the race. The strongest soldier does not always win the battle. Wise people don't always get the food. Smart people don't always get the wealth. Educated people don't always get the praise they deserve. When the time comes, bad things can happen to anyone. That's just the truth. Bad things can happen to anyone. There's a story I read this week that I want to share. It's from a pastor that he was just being really honest about this situation in his life when he felt like life was very unfair. He was, at this time, he was a Christian. He's following God, but he was a single guy, and he didn't want to be single. Any single people in here ever not want to be single? Come on, you want to be, if you're single, you want to be louder than that. You want to raise your hand so the other single people see you right here. This is his story. He was, he was writing, I began to appreciate Psalm 73. We're going to look at that psalm in a minute. He said, I, I began to appreciate that back in the early 1970s. I was single. 
living two blocks from the beach in Seal Beach, California. Most of my friends had gotten married. Doesn't that make it worse? You're single, you don't want to be single, and you're like, all my friends are getting married now. Why me, God? It's so unfair. Um, He said, I had been rejected several times in my quest to get married, and I was very lonely. Living next door to me was a guy with blonde hair down to his back. I was told he made his living dealing drugs. So here, let me just set up this story that he's telling. He is this Christian guy trying to live his life right. He's following God. He's reading his Bible. He's praying, but he can't find a wife anywhere. He's been rejected several times. He's lonely, and next door to him is a drug dealer. And here's what he notices. The drug dealer has a girlfriend who was stunningly gorgeous. I would be sitting out in the yard reading my Bible as she came out in her bikini and hopped on her bike to ride down to the beach. And I would cry out, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. He was having this, he's even reading his Bible that makes it worse, sitting there reading his Bible Here, this beautiful girl in a bikini comes out and gets on a bike, the girlfriend of the drug dealer, and he's like, I'm doing everything right. Why is life so unfair? Why does this bad guy get the girl? I'm I'm lonely, God, and I'm following you, and I'm reading the Bible. Man, you you can understand this. We can relate to this. All of us in our life at one time or another have thought, why is this so unfair? Why him and not me? Or you've said, why her and not me? Psalm 73 is the psalm that he references. It's a psalm that was written by Asaph, one of David's, one of King David's men. And Asaph starts out, and I want to read a lot of this because he has this moment with God. He has this, this great moment where he starts out basically complaining to God about how unfair things are. And, and in the middle of this, this passage of Scripture, he has this moment where he spends time with God and his perception changes. The reason I want to share this is because I want you to recognize that God is not afraid of your questions. God's not afraid of your doubts. When you have questions or doubts or you feel like something is unfair, our God loves us. He already knows your heart and he wants you to be able to be open with him. You can just sit and talk to God, even if it's to complain. You can just sit and talk to God and say, God, why is my life like this? Why does it seem so unfair? That's sort of what Asaph does. When we look at Psalm 73, he starts out like this. How good God is to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I came so close to the edge of the cliff. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I was envious of the prosperity of the proud and wicked. He's looking around at everyone else, and everyone else seems to have uh, prosperity. Everyone else seems to be blessed but him. Yes, all through life their road is smooth. They grow sleek and fat, and not the kind of fat like you need a diet from. He means fat like they have everything they want. They aren't always in trouble and plagued with problems like everyone else. So their pride sparkles like a jeweled necklace, and their clothing is woven of cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff at God and threaten his people. 
How proudly they speak. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut through the earth. And so God's people are dismayed and confused and drink it all in. Does God realize what is going on, they ask? Maybe some of you have thought that before when, man, you're following God, you're trying to do the right things, but things don't seem to work out. And your thought could even be just like this, God, do you even realize what's going on? God, do you even realize how bad I'm hurting? God, do you even realize what I'm experiencing? Are you there? Can you hear me? This is what he's saying. This is what I'm asking. Does God realize what's going on? Look at these men of arrogance. They never have to lift a finger. Theirs is a life of ease, and all the time their riches multiply. Why take the trouble to be pure? All I get out of it is trouble and woe every day and all day long. Then he says, if I had really said that, I would have been a traitor to your people. Yet it's so hard to explain it, this prosperity of those who hate the Lord. Then one day I went into God's sanctuary to meditate and thought about the future of these evil men. After all of his complaining to God, he stopped for a minute and spent some time in God's presence and started thinking about the future. And when he thought about the future of those who don't know God, he started to realize, wait, I don't have it so bad. Maybe my life isn't going just right right now, but my eternity is secure. I know where I'm going. I'm God's. I belong to him. I'm going to be in heaven one day. And then he, he continues to look at this, and it says in verse 21, when I saw this, what turmoil filled my heart. I saw myself so stupid and so ignorant. I must seem like an animal to you, O oh God. But even so, you love me. You're holding my right hand. You will keep on guiding me all my life with your wisdom and counsel. And afterwards, receive me into the glories of heaven. Whom have I in heaven but you? And I desire no one on earth as much as you. My health fails, my spirit droops, yet God remains. He is the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Then in the last verse, verse 28, he says, But as for me... I get as close to him as I can. I have chosen him, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful ways he rescues me. I love these scriptures because we see this process that Asaph goes through that you may have gone through yourself, or maybe it's reminding you to have this conversation with God, that it didn't stop with the complaints and Asaph saying, man, it's not fair. Everything's going right for everyone else. My life is not going well. But then he spends some time in, with God and his perspective changes. He sees things different. He realizes, hey, it's really not that bad for me. And then he really starts to change and he starts to think, God, who do I have in heaven but for you? There's no one in the entire earth that I want more than you. Man, that's the place where you are blessed when you realize in your life, God, you are all I need. You're all I need. Life isn't fair. It really isn't. But it's, it's unfair for all of us. That sort of makes it fair sometimes. We all have struggles. We all have problems. We all have difficulties. Even those that we see and we think they don't, they have problems too. But life isn't fair because we live in a sinful world full of sinful people. God didn't create it unfair. 
that's part of what this question when it was asked was, why did God create the world unfair? He didn't. God created life in the garden and everything was perfect. But sin came in and ruined everything. And we've been living in that ever since. I mean, for the world to be fair, all people would have to be fair. Are all the people you know fair? For justice, for there to be justice in the world, it means the people would have to be just, and it's not like that. It's going to be like that forever here on the earth until Jesus comes back. So life isn't fair, but God is still good. And in this, what we learn from Asaph is not to compare, not to envy other people. Comparison and envy are two of your greatest enemies in this life. As soon as you realize that, man, it will help you and set you free. Comparison and envy are two of your greatest enemies. When you compare your life to other people, that never goes well for you. When you envy what's going on in someone else's life or what they have, that doesn't go well for you. Perspective, how we see things, those are the keys to this life. Uh, can we put up the picture of my, my brother and his family? I want to share a personal story just to help us with this idea of perspective. That's my brother, Doug. My little brother, but he outgrew me. He's like way bigger than me. Uh, when we were kids, I was still bigger than him. If we got in a fight, man, I could pin him down. I could make him give up, whatever. Then he outgrew me, and when he would get mad, I would say, hey, we need to take this outside. And when he would go outside, I would lock the door uh, because I was smaller but smarter, and I knew he could beat me up. And even telling you that story here, he's on the other side of the world. So that's smart, too, because if he was here, he could beat me up. He's taller. He works out. This is his wife, my sister-in-law, Laurie. And these are my three nephews. Asher on that side, he's 13. Abram is 10. And Asa is 9. And when we were in the States, our son Gabriel, he's Abram's age. He's 10. He spent the night with them almost every weekend. These are his best buddies. He loves to hang out with those guys. But if you notice, Abram is in a wheelchair. He was born with cerebral palsy, which means he will always need that wheelchair. Unless God does a miracle and we know God can do anything. But aside from that, he'll always be in a wheelchair. He'll always need his parents to help him get to the bathroom. He'll always need his parents to help him to take a bath. And those are things they even have to consider now because even at 10, he's getting heavier and heavier and it's harder for them to pick him up and take him where he needs to go. And they have to think about, man, what... What's going to happen when he's a teenager? What about when he's in his 20s? But, man, he is such a sweet guy. And I, I want to share this video. Um, recently, this park in our city in the U.S., in Birmingham, Alabama, they wanted to make the park accessible for people with handicaps, people in wheelchairs, and they wanted my nephew, Abram, to be like their spokesperson. So they interview him about the park. Can we show this video? The Butler Snow Sensory Trail is a sensory trail here at Red Mountain Park. It's got 14 activity stations. It's accessible using our off-road wheelchairs, the Nomad wheelchairs, and it's designed for anyone that has a curiosity for our natural world. Whether or not you have developmental differences or happen to use a wheelchair, you can come out here and enjoy this trail. It has great activities for kids to enjoy along the trail. I just think it's great. 
So the Butler Snow Sensory Trail came about because of the Butler Snow Law Firm. They have a foundation and they gave us a grant that provided the seed money to create this trail. And along the way we partnered with dozens of amazing organizations around town that gave us advice on how to build this trail. The Boy Scouts came out, they built several of the stations, so it really was a community effort. My favorite activities were making music and learning about the history of this place. That was fun, and then the rock climbing, and then just getting to the end and saying that that was a great adventure. And it's like you want to do it again because it was so fun. I just think it's great. <laughs> Man, he is the sweetest guy. And he is such a blessing to our family just the way he is. And I wanted to share that just to help you with perspective because sometimes we think, why does this happen to me? Or why did that happen to him? Or why, why this or why that? Why is life unfair? If you talk to my brother and my sister-in-law, they would say, man, we are blessed. If you talk to them about Abram and say, man, don't you think life is unfair that you have to deal with this and someone else doesn't? What my brother has always said is we are so thankful because the doctor said he would never even be able to speak. Think about that, how that changes your perspective. Man, he is a kid that he will get you in a corner in the house and he will tell you stories till you can escape. He talks all the time. He's got a great sense of humor. But the doctors had said he would never speak. It gives you perspective that when they see that, man, he's in the wheelchair, sure, but he can talk to us. Man, we're blessed. Sometimes life seems unfair, and like I said, um, it's just the way it is because of sin in the world. But even still, God is good. God is so good. Can I ask the worship team to come up? Sometimes that's really the question that we're asking when we're saying, man, God, why is life like this? Why is it not fair? Why, why did you let it be like this? Really what we're saying is, God, are you good or not? And the answer is, he is so good. He is so good. God is so much better to us than we even deserve, and most of you know that. Man, in my life when I'm praying, and this is how I've prayed for years, when I pray, I say, God, I don't need you to do one more thing for me. I don't need anything. You've already blessed me. God, I don't need blessings. There's nothing in this earth I need. I, I really want to pray and say, God, all I need is you. Man, that's the place of true blessing. When you get there and realize, God, I just need you. You're it. You're everything. How many of you need God to do one more thing to show you he loves you? He loves you. He is so good. Can I trust him? That's the other question when we're saying, why is life like this? God, can I trust you? Yes, you can trust him. I've been trusting him for 23 years now. He has never once let me down. I've gone through difficult times. I've gone through problems. I've gone through struggles. And he's always been there right beside me. And that's the promise. The promise isn't that we won't have things. The promise is that God will never leave us when we're going through it. And I can tell you, he has never, ever left me. Asaph talked about this, his struggles and his doubts. It's okay for us to talk about those things with God. And when he spent time with God and he realized what he was saying, he said, I realized how foolish I was. He even put it like this. He, he was talking to God and he said, God, I must seem like an animal to you, but you love me anyway. 
Man, isn't that so encouraging? I wrote this statement of faith based on Psalm 73. And I think this is something we should keep in our minds. This is something that we should pray ourselves. Maybe when you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and and say these things. But here's how I wrote it. No matter what happens in this life, my God is with me and he is good. Think about that for a moment. Whatever you face, whatever happens to you in this life, your God is with you and he is good. It doesn't matter what's going on. He's there. He loves me even when I am foolish. He's holding my hand even when I may not feel it. He's my strength when I am weak. He is mine and I am his forever. Would you mind standing with me, please? I want to pray for you. What are you facing today? What struggles, what difficulties, what problems, what's making you think, man, it's not fair. What things bring that to mind? What's going on in your life? I'll go ahead and agree with you. It's not fair. But life isn't fair. It isn't fair. But we live in a broken, sinful world, but God is still good.